You are listening to the VBAC Link Podcast, and this is episode number 59. We have Genevieve from San Diego, California, and we are so excited to hear her stories today. She's got quite a few of them, and they're all very unique and have led her to the decisions that she made in each birth. So before we do that... Um, I want to turn the time over to Julie because she's got another amazing review. Oh my gosh, Megan and I are so excited about this story. You guys, <laughs> turn the volume up, make sure your kids aren't running around clinging onto your shirts because you're going to want to pay attention to every single detail. And I say the whole shirt thing because that's pretty much my life. <laughs> my podcast listening time is when I'm in the car all by myself. So there you are. If you're with me, I don't know, give me an imaginary fist bump right now. <laughs> I'm just going to get right to the review of the week because now I'm just not making any sense. Okay, let's see. This review this week is from NV Mama Bear on Apple Podcasts. And she says, I'm so grateful for Julie and Megan starting this podcast. I'm literally binge listening to every episode. I'm expecting my eighth baby next month. She's my fifth VBAC, but my first VBAC after two C-sections. My last birth rocked my confidence a bit as I fully expected to have my fifth home birth after cesarean. However, preeclampsia changed all of that. This podcast is informative, encouraging, and inspiring, and I recommend all moms should listen and become educated and empowered. My daily mantra has become, I am a woman of strength. And I love that. I love hearing that when people tell us that their mantra or their affirmation or or the things that they repeated over in their head during labor is, I am a woman of strength. Because do you know what? You are. You listening right now, you are strong and you are incredible and you are a woman of strength. And we believe that. And I've even started telling Megan sometimes, um, and she said to me, when sometimes times get rough and they and we struggle a little bit, I'll just say, Megan, you can do this because you are the OG women of strength. You are one of the two original women of strength <laughs> right here. We've got this because if we're telling people they're women of strength, we certainly are women of strength too. And so thank you. We believe in you. And we thank you for also believing in us. And thank you for your reviews. We love them. Keep them coming in. We were just talking with our guest today, Genevieve, and telling her how you know, we don't get out much. This is our adult interaction. <laughs> the VBAC link literally is our adult interaction for the day most days. And we sure love getting these reviews in and having conversations with you as you prepare for your journeys. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right, it is Podcast Wednesday, and we have an amazing episode for you. Honestly, I mean, I may be biased, but we have an amazing episode for you every week. So if you are we just <laughs> you are, if you're just tuning in and you haven't heard all the episodes, 
head back to episode one and give them a listen. Every single one will be sure to inspire and educate you and not only do those two things, but empower you to do the things that you need to do best for your birth. So before I keep rambling on, I want to turn the time over to Genevieve. Hi, guys. Hi. Um, (laughs) Thanks for talking to us. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to share with you. We're excited too. Um, I have a a long story of how it goes, and I'm going to shorten it as quickly as I can, not drag it on. Uh, Spoiler alert, my VBAC was not till my sixth baby, and my C-section was not till my fifth baby. So let me start with my uh, first baby, and I was 18 years old when I had my first baby, and it was like any teenager has a baby, I guess, we're not very, we kind of just go with what's happening to us. Mm-hmm. We, I didn't have a lot of education or background, no studying. It was just as things came, that's what happened. And it was a very easy pregnancy. And the delivery was super easy. And the nurses and doctors all told me right after was this was textbook, exactly everything like we read in school. My water broke at 730 in the morning. I drove myself to the hospital because my husband was already gone at work. I got to the hospital. They started Pitocin at 9 a.m. At 2.30 p.m., I got that epidural, and it was wonderful and God sent. The anesthesiologist walked in, and it was nice to see a face that I knew from church. I didn't know what his job was, but it was nice to see him. And then labored again for a few more hours, and at 7.25 p.m., about almost 12 hours since my water broke, I started pushing. And five minutes later, my baby was out. So That's those teenagers, mom, man. Those teenagers <laughs> have these bodies that just work like like they're supposed perfectly, to. Perfectly, yeah. <laughs> nice and young and um, fresh. <laughs> yeah. So that was in February. That's February 2014. So my labor was 12 hours, and baby was pushed out in five minutes. So that was simple, and I was like, man, wow. I can do this over and over and over again. This is easy, and I did do it over and over and over again. So then I had. Baby number two, what came 15 months after baby number one. Wow. Um, You're doing it, it like right me. Away. <laughs> 15 <laughs> months later, um, and this pregnancy was, so now I'm 19. My husband and I just wanted a lot of kids, and we thought we might as well get them in right away. So I was delivering this time at a different hospital with a different doctor, and this labor was also really pretty easy. I got to the hospital at 11 p.m. They checked me. They said I was three centimeters and I wasn't in enough pain to be in labor. So they sent me home. Um, (laughs) Not enough pain. How did they, how did they measure that? (laughs) I don't know. They said, you're still walking and talking. You're not in enough pain to be in labor. So go home. Well, you know, (laughs) I've seen people go pretty well. So you never know. But okay. Yeah. And so we lived an hour away from, we were delivering on an army army base, so we lived an hour and away, and so I didn't want to drive home because I knew I was in labor. So we went downstairs and walked in this dark hospital hallways for two hours, and then I ended up, I went back up to labor and delivery about three o'clock in the morning, and they said, oh, now you're at four to six, and you're in, you're really in labor now. I was like, I told you that two hours ago. Um... <laughs> And I asked for an epidural immediately, and the anesthesiologist came in, and I told her, okay, this is how I need to sit. This is how I sat last time. And she told me, nope, that's not how you're going to sit. You're going to sit the way I tell you because this is the way I do it. And I said, 
okay, and I'm in labor, and I'm 19, so I didn't know how to advocate for myself. And so I'm sitting the way she tells me, and she misses. She tries to put in the needle, and she can't get it. She's like, I don't know what's wrong. And then so she moves up to the next, like, vertebrae, wherever they put them in the epidural, and she misses again and still can't get it in. And my husband was like, stop, you're not poking her again. Like, this is it. They're done. And I was like, you don't understand. I need this epidural. And so she tried one more time, but this time I said, please let me sit the way I want to sit. And she's like, fine, that's not how I do it, but sit however you want. Like, she was not happy with me. So I ended up sitting, like, crisscross applesauce with my belly in my lap and bent over my belly. And she's like, oh, look, your spine opens up so nicely this way. And I was like, I told you. (laughs) Um, So she gets the epidural in, but now it's higher than normal. And they lay me back, and I go... After a few minutes, I realized I'm numb from my shoulders down. Oh, my gosh. And shoulders down? I, yeah, shoulders down, I'm numb. And I, I tell my, I look at my husband, I said, it's not right. This is not okay. And so he pages the nurse, and they come in, and they're like, oh, that's not good. So they turn off the epidural and said, well, you're just, you don't get any kind of pain relief now because this is happening. About a half hour it took for my epidural to wear off. So they turned off my epidural at 4.30 in the morning, and at 5 a.m., about a half hour later, they said, you're 10, and it's time to push. And as I'm pushing, we realize that I'm only numb, left numb, from my middle of my left leg down, from, like, mid-thigh down. My left leg is numb, and the rest of my body I can feel. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that is crazy. And I, so my husband is trying to lift up this leg that's, like, dead weight because I can't feel it, and I'm trying to push out this baby. Yeah. And the doctor comes in, and somebody I'd never met before in my entire pregnancy, he's like, hi, I'm here to catch the baby. And so he comes in, and I push for 15 minutes, and baby's out. So that was, like, six hours total for that labor and delivery. But in postpartum in that hospital, they put us in, like, this big, long room of beds that was divided by sheets. And I needed to go to the bathroom, but I never got a catheter because my epidural didn't stay. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, well, let's walk you to the bathroom. And I'm like, okay, but my not, my leg sounds a little tingly still. They're oh, like, oh, you'll no. be fine. And so I stand oh, up and gosh. they drop me on the floor. Oh, my oh, gosh. They catch me as I fell. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so I'm on the floor. She called another nurse to help her pick me up. And then they, like, hand me a bedpan, walk away, and then I, like, filled the bedpan and it's overflowing the bedpan onto the bed mm. and like I'm like trying to call for somebody to help me but nobody came and so there I was like sitting in my own urine it was awful and so finally they put me in a recovery room and it was 24 hours later and they're like do you want to go home you can go home early if you want and I was like yes please I don't want to be here anymore so that was I had that baby in June of 2005 that was my second baby So because of that hospital experience, I decided for my third pregnancy that I was going to have a home birth with a midwife, which was a new concept to me. But a friend had said, well, I had a home birth. And I'm like, oh, this seems, oh, my birth seemed to be really fast and pretty easy. So let me try that. So when I went for my first appointment with a midwife, she did a quick ultrasound. And we were pregnant with twins to our surprise. Um, Wow. And we found out that we were living in Colorado at the time that you can't deliver twins at home with a midwife. It was against the law. So while we were looking for a doctor, I had gone to the emergency room because I had started bleeding, and I had lost one of the babies 
from the ultrasound. They said there was one baby left, but one was gone. And they told me what happens to one usually will happen to the other one. And so the next, I went home, took it easy, and then the next week at 14 weeks, I lost the second one. Um, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So that was a little traumatic for us. And I know now, but in that moment, I thought, what if I had just been seeing a doctor? Could something have been done differently? Maybe if it wasn't a midwife, maybe as a, if I was at a doctor's office, like something else could have been different. It was, I was full of what ifs. And I know that that's not the case, and it, these things just happen. But in the moment, that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, so that led to my decision of going back to a doctor for my next pregnancy instead of a midwife. And so for my fourth pregnancy, but my third baby, I had decided to go back with my first doctor that delivered my very first baby. And so I got pregnant with him three months after I had miscarried. And the whole pregnancy was easy peasy. Once again, my body knew what it was doing. And then at my 38-week appointment, I remember after the doctor had said everything, you know, they checked for position and everything. He said, baby's great. I'll see you in a couple weeks. And I'm sitting on his table crying. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. And he's like, nothing's wrong. You're just tired of being pregnant. All the moms mm-hmm. say this. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Something is wrong. And he's like, no, I've delivered thousands of babies. I know what I'm talking about. And I stopped him right there. And I said, wait, but how many babies have come out of your body? Right. And then, <laughs> and then he said, okay, well, I'll send you up for an ultrasound. And if your fluid levels are low, we'll just send you in for an induction. I said, I don't want to be induced. Something's wrong. And so he's like, well, just go check with ultrasound first. So we go upstairs to the ultrasound. And the lady puts the wand on my belly. And first words were, whoa, your baby's breached. Did you know that? <sighs> and <laughs> I said, I knew something was wrong. And so she calls down to the doctor and lets him know what she found. He tells us to come back down. And so I'm walking down the stairs and getting, okay, he's going to apologize and tell me, I'm sorry I didn't listen to you. You were right. But the first words that came out of his mouth were, so I can schedule you for a C-section tomorrow. Wow. And I was just like in shock. I, I was speechless. I was like, wait a minute, like, we didn't discuss anything. It was just, your baby's reach, C-section, I can schedule you in for tomorrow. And I'm like, no, no, no. And so this time I was a little bit better at advocating for myself. So I asked him what other options were there. And yeah. he talked about an external version. And so I decided to go with the external version. So the next morning, instead of a C-section, we did the external version. And that was the most painful thing that I had ever experienced up into that point of my life. Yeah, those are rough. Um, In the moment, I was thinking in my head, maybe I should have just got that C-section because this is awful. So the external version worked. Baby stayed head down. I went home. The next morning, I had to go get some things for the baby. We didn't know what the baby was. We didn't know boy or girl. So I was going to Target to buy, like, onesies and socks and things. And so as I'm walking into Target in the morning, my water broke. As I'm walking in, I have my two other kids with me and my husband. And he was immediately like, okay, let's go to the hospital. And I said, no, this takes a while after your water breaks. Don't worry. So I tied my sweater around my waist and said, I have some shopping to do. And 
I proceeded with my shopping and got whatever I needed and got to the hospital. And then things kind of went along like my first birth. I got there, they started Pitocin, got my epidural, and then from six hours after my water broke to baby was about six hours. Yeah. Wow. And that was in January 2008. Same thing, couple pushes, baby was out. That's awesome. And then I got pregnant again with, <laughs> this is now baby number four. And she was born in July 2009. And so easy pregnancy again at 38 weeks labor started. But I didn't think it was real labor. The contractions were sporadic and not painful. That was in the evening. I decided to take a hot bath, take some Tylenol PM, and go to bed. And the next morning, my husband went to work. He really wanted to stay home. But I was like, you know what? There's no more contractions. Don't worry about it. Go to work like normal. Um, my mom was there. She was helping me run some errands, and we got to the post office errand, and I asked her if she could run in for me because I had my three kids in the back. I feel like I'm a m- million weeks pregnant, and I said, I do not want to get everybody out of the car again. Can you please just go in and do this? And she said, okay. So she was in the post office for about 10 minutes, and when she came back out, I was on my hands and knees in the front seat looking <laughs> back at my three kids' faces saying, Mom's okay. Mom's Okay. And she's like, what's wrong? I said, we need to go to the hospital right now. <laughs> and I got to the hospital really quickly. I was, they checked I was six to seven centimeters already when I got there. I called my husband because he was 45 minutes away. And I called a friend to pick up my other kids that were all with me too. The nurses asked me right away, do you want an epidural? And I said, no, our plan is to go without an epidural this time. And she's like, well, you're doing great. You're already at a seven. So you should do this. You'll be great. My husband got there, and as he got there, about 45 minutes after I called him, I was like, I need an epidural right now. And he tried to talk me out of it, like, no, remember, you didn't want one. You can do it. I said, no, I need it now. Go find go find the person and bring them in here. I don't care if you have to drag them, bring them in here. And so the anesthesiologist comes in again to give me an epidural, and he's telling me, you need to sit still. I said, I can't sit still. This is the worst pain I've ever been in my entire life. I cannot sit through these contractions. And he said, well, it's been a while since I've delivered a baby, so this will be fun. And I was like, no, I'm not even that close. I was only at six or seven when I got here. It's only been an hour. He's like, okay. So he gets the epidural in, lays me back, and calls the nurses in. And the nurse is like, well, let's give you five minutes for it to kick in before we check you. And they checked me, and I was at a 10. And they said, well, it's time to push. And I was like, what a waste of an epidural. So I, since the epidural was so new, it was only been in for 15 minutes and it was time to push that I couldn't feel anything. I had no idea what I was doing. And I think I was just delirious by how fast the labor had gone that I thought my husband and my doctor were the funniest people on the planet. And every time they said something, I was just laughing. I was like deliriously laughing. And so every time I laughed, my stomach would tense up and I'd push the baby out a little bit more. So I literally (laughs) laughed my baby out because I I couldn't push I, love it. <laughs> um, I had a client so do that, cute. like laugh her baby out. It was awesome. Like it was such a fun room, and I remember like she didn't cry or anything. But I think it's because everybody was just laughing. I think they were laughing at me because I was laughing. I don't think they were actually laughing; they were just laughing at me. And I don't think they actually said anything funny. I just was out of my mind. So that was another quick one. I got pregnant again in 2010, and I miscarried in August. And then we decided. We wanted, we really wanted baby number five and we tried for over a year to get pregnant and it had never taken us more than 
two cycles to get pregnant before. So we were a little discouraged. We didn't know why this was taking so long. But we finally did get pregnant with baby number five. And as soon as I found out, I was eight weeks long and nine weeks I started having some spotting and some bleeding. And I got put on bed rest at eight weeks along, eight, nine weeks along until I was about 20 weeks along. I was on bed rest for unexplained bleeding. Like the doctor couldn't tell me why, which was really difficult when you have four little kids uh, yeah. Yeah. and four kids, eight and under. And they're like, well, you're on bed rest. I was like, what? How is this going to work? But we figured it out with lots of help from friends from church and family members and neighbors. They were all so helpful to help me with my four kids because I was homeschooling at the time, too. So we just didn't do school for the whole year, <laughs> like for the whole nine months. Like there was just no way that I was getting in. But anyways, so after 20 weeks, everything was fine. My bed rest was lifted at 37 weeks pregnant. I started having prodromal labor. I was getting contractions all the time. They weren't painful, but they were uncomfortable. Like nobody wants to just contract all the time. And it was just exhausting. So I went to my 37-week appointment, and my doctor, I asked her to check me because I thought for sure these contractions were doing something. I was at three centimeters and 80% effaced. So I was like, oh, okay, that wasn't for nothing. So I was hopeful, and the doctor said, oh, you're already... You're that far. I'm sure you'll have a baby within the next day or two. It will be just fine. And I said, I hope so. And then so I made it to 37 weeks, five days. And I was still having the prodromal labor. I was still not sleeping well. And I didn't have an appointment, but I just called her office. I said, can you please, can I just, can you just, can I come in and you can check me because I am exhausted and something has to be happening. She let me come into her office. On her lunch break, she decided not to take a lunch so she could see me. Um, and she checked me again, and she's like, well, now you're four centimeters and 90%. She's like, you nice. are having this baby. You are having this baby tonight. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, because I can't do this anymore. And so she's like, I understand. She's like, but you're so good at this. All your last ones have been so easy. This will be great. And I said, what can I do? I'm so tired. So she gave me two Ambien and said, go take, go home and take one of these and sleep because you're going to need the rest. So I did that. I went home that evening and took the Ambien and slept eight hours. Like it was amazing. Nice. In nine months pregnant, it's hard to sleep regardless, but. Eight hours of sleep sounds sleep. great to me and I'm not even <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> and it was amazing. And so I woke up the next morning and I was like, oh, I'm still pregnant. And then that next day I was just chilling at home. Uh, we decided to just watch movies and lounge around. And that night, there was still no baby. So I took the second Ambien pill she gave me so I can get another full night of sleep. And that was another wonderful night of sleep. And so now I'm 38 weeks pregnant. And I've been three, four centimeters for a week now. And 90% um, of face, which is and 90%, huge. Which is crazy. There was like, I'm walking, I feel like the baby's going to fall out of my vagina. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so... At 38 weeks, we decided, like, let's go out to eat as a family one night. Like, let's just have a night off. Nobody has to cook. Nobody has to clean. So we went out, and we didn't go anywhere fancy. We had four little kids. There's no fancy, and I'm <laughs> ginormous pregnant. So we went to, like, some fast food restaurant. We're sitting inside, and my youngest daughter at the time was two, and she wet her pants, as two-year-olds do when they're potty training. Mm. So I took her. I was walking out to the car. 
to go get her a change of clothes, and as I stepped off the curb, I stepped into a pothole and landed straight onto my belly. And I just laid on the parking lot floor crying as my two-year-old is standing on the curb looking at me like in shock. And I'm just laying there crying, hoping like, somebody please come and see me to help this whale off the floor. (laughs) Like, help me up. And so I get back up, and I, like, my knees are all cut up and bleeding. My hands are all Mm. scraped. My whole belly is all black from the asphalt on my clothes. Um, And I walk back inside, and my husband sees me, and he freaks out. He's like, what happened to you? And I said, don't worry. Nothing, like, nobody did this to me. Like, I fell off the the curb. And I told him, I'll I'll be okay. Um, Let the kids eat their food. I'm going to do some kick counts, and we'll just see what's happening. Like, I just need a minute to catch my breath. And he's like, no, we are going straight to the hospital. This is not okay. He hurried up all of our kids and drove us straight to the hospital. And so now I have four kids in the triage room at the hospital. And my husband, I'm hooked up to these monitors. And the nurse is like, well, told us that after a fall, it's two hours, a minimum of two hours of observation. So we're like, okay, well, we don't want to be in this room, this tiny room with all of our kids. So we called a friend to pick them up. And my oldest daughter decided she wanted to stay just in case the baby was born. So we let her stay. She was eight years old at the time. The ultrasound technician came in and they talked about the work. The doctor ordered a biophysical profile, which is like a really in-depth ultrasound to check everything about the baby. And as he's doing the ultrasound, he I remember him pushing on my belly saying, move, baby, you need to move, and like hmm. trying to get her to move. And she wouldn't move. Her heart rate was reading fine on the monitor. I was contracting every five minutes, but she wasn't moving. And so he wouldn't, he couldn't tell us anything about what he was seeing on the ultrasound because it was considered an emergency and it had to be read by the doctor. And so we are just sitting there in silence as he's checking everything on this baby. And he, he said, well, I'm going to send this over to the doctor and then she'll let you know what's going on. So 20 minutes later after he leaves, there was just chaos in our in our triage room. Five nurses came rushing in. One of them has a phone in their hand and hands me the phone and says, it's your doctor. And I'm like, okay, I'm really confused. What uh, is going on? Yeah. One is talking to my husband. One is messing with my IV. One is trying to put my bed down so they can, like, lift up my gown and shave me. And then, gosh, and no I'm, one's talking to you about what's happening. That's frustrating. No, the doctor has. I'm on. She hands me the phone, and the the doctor's there, and she's telling me, Jen, I just saw the the results of the BPP. Your baby, there was some shadowing on her brain, which is real is normally an indication of a brain bleed. So I'm on my way. You're having a C-section. I will be there. Like it's happening now, and I'm just. As soon as she said C-section and the brain bleed, I didn't hear anything else she said after that. I'm sure. Um, I'm just crying. Um, My husband's in the corner. He just sees me crying on the phone. Somebody else is trying to explain to him what's going on. And then I, like, hang up the phone, and I, like, turn to hand this phone to somebody. And somebody takes the phone out of my hand, and I'm just, like, it's kind of like an out-of-body experience at that moment. I see everything that's happening around me. And I'm just sitting there in shock, and I'm crying because I have no idea what's going on with my baby. The last thing I heard was, it's a brain bleed, and I'm having a C-section. Wow. Um, and so my husband, 
bless him, he sees this look of shock on my face and tells everybody, stop what you're doing and please leave the room. And they all were like, no, sir, you, we can't leave the room. And like, he's like, stop what you're doing and give us a minute. And so he kicked everybody out of the room. My daughter was there. She's eight years old. She doesn't know what's going on either. And so they both come over to me. We, give a, we have like a group hug. We say a quick prayer. And then he gives me a quick blessing just to calm my nerves and to pray that everything will be okay and everything will happen as it needs to happen, which was such a, like, give me some peace in this moment of chaos. And then after that was done, he opened the curtain back up and said, okay, you guys can come in now. And then back to chaos. Um, wow. They, like, handed him a pair of scrubs and were like, what are we going to do with our daughter? They're like, don't worry, she'll be with the nurses. Everything will be okay. And the next thing I know, they're, like, wheeling me off into the OR. And I'm in this OR, bright, cold OR. And it's cold. And I'm alone, besides, like, the nurse and the anesthesiologist. They give me uh, the spinal block and lay me down. And as they're draping me and putting the drapes up and prepping me, my husband walks in fully scrubbed, and I ask him about my daughter, like, where's Melena? And he goes, she's fine. She's with the nurses. I said, okay. And then my doctor comes in really quick, and she says, Jen, I'm here. This is going to be fast. And I said, okay. So she asks, she says, Jen, I'm pinching you really, really hard. Can you feel this? And I said, no. And my husband, who we have this really strict honesty policy with each other, he leans over in my ear and says, she's lying. She's actually cutting you open. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa. okay, thanks for that information. I thought she, yeah, she's like, she's like, she's lying. She's not pinching you. She's cutting you open. <laughs> and I was like, okay. My gosh. Um, which, I don't know, I like to know what's going on. So that didn't like freak me out or anything. Um, right, but still, then, <laughs> it's like, hey, yeah. just tell me what's going on. <laughs> So really quickly, baby was out, and what seemed like forever to cry, but I'm sure it was only a couple seconds, but when you're in that space and you think your baby has a brain bleed, that couple seconds seems like forever. Um, and so they take baby over to the warmer, and they said, baby looks good. Um, we're going to take her off to the NICU just to get a scan of her head to make sure there's no brain bleed. And my husband went with the baby, and then I was stuck on this operating table by myself crying and the doctors were talking amongst themselves I was there I felt utterly alone mm -hmm. um and they were talking to each other about their camping trip and about mm -hmm. how my doctor was telling the other doctor I drove like a bat out of hell to get here and the baby seems fine like she was oh disappointed gosh. that the baby was fine that she had to leave whatever she was doing to get there so quickly oh. um and so I just laid there, and as they're closing me up, and my husband's gone, my baby's gone, my older daughter's somewhere, I'm hoping with the nurses, and I get willed into recovery, and I'm shaking, and it's like another one of those big rooms with all the curtains dividing the beds, <laughs> and I'm just crying in my bed all alone, and a nurse walks over and she says, what's the matter? And I, I remember just saying, I just want my baby. Where is my baby? I want my baby. And she's like, oh, you'll see your baby later. Don't worry. It'll be okay. And I'm like, you don't understand. I have every time I've given birth before then, the baby went immediately to my chest. 
And so this was the first time that my baby was whisked away. And I didn't know how to deal with that or how to comprehend that. Yeah. And I just cried. So finally they wheeled me into the NICU after a couple hours to go see my baby. And she had IVs and monitors. And I was asking what was wrong with her. And I said, no, she's fine. I asked about the brain bleed. There was no brain bleed. And I asked if I could hold her as they were wheeling my bed into the NICU. And they said, no, there's no room right here. You can't hold her. And they told me I couldn't hold my baby. And I lost mm. it again. Um, and so they told me her blood sugars were low, and that's why she had to stay in the NICU. And now as a lactation educator, I know that she just really needed skin to skin and for breastfeed, mm-hmm. and that would have fixed mm-hmm. her blood sugars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, instead of keeping her in the NICU for two days. So, and then postpartum, I got home uh, two or three weeks postpartum. My incision had popped open in the, at the corners at the ends, mm-hmm. on both ends. And so, and I got an infection and, and with five kids now to take care of, I didn't have time or energy or space to process what had happened to me during that birth and how it affected me. Mm-hmm. All I knew yeah. was that I never wanted to do that again. Like, this is not happening. So three months after that very traumatic birth to us, my husband and I decided we're done. We can't do that again. And he got a vasectomy because we we couldn't do it again. We couldn't imagine doing that again. And so we went about our lives just being parents to five kids. And about three years after my C-section, I started having this ache for another baby in my heart. Like, I need another baby. And and I kept it to myself because it felt crazy because I didn't have – the plumbing didn't work. Like, <laughs> we couldn't yeah. make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so after – four years after my C-section, I finally told my husband, like, this is really weighing on my heart. I really feel like we have more babies. And he also thought I was crazy. Um, <laughs> and so after we just, like, talked about it, we did a lot of prayer and a lot of research – we found a doctor who would do a reversal, who could perform, and he specialized in reversals of vasectomies. Wow. And so we thought was a permanent sterilization is not permanent if you know the right people. <laughs> um, and so we, he got a reversal in August 2016, and uh, we found out we were pregnant in February of 2017. So my first appointment with that baby, I knew I didn't want a C-section again, so I chose a midwife that, like, practiced with a group of OBGYNs to be seen with the midwife in their office and their practice, and I met with her, and she's taking my history and asking me about all my births, and when I told her about the C-section, I was just in tears the whole time. I couldn't get out the words. I was I had to like choke them out of me. And she goes, it sounds like you have PTSD from that birth. And I said, is that what this is? Like I was shocked that like, that that is what I was feeling. I had never been able to talk about that delivery with anybody. Um, And so when I had to talk about it for my history, I I lost it. And that's when she's like, you are suffering. And it sounds like you're still suffering from PTSD. Mm Mm-hmm. And so when I found out that according to their rules and their practice, we were in southern Utah at this time, she said she cannot see me because I'm a VBAC and that she is not allowed to deliver me at the hospital because she's a midwife and I have to be seen by a doctor. And she said, don't worry, the doctors in this practice are great. They'll support you. 
I said, okay. So I went back a month later and I met with the doctor and the first words I got were like, sure, we could try. And I said, no, 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 there's no try. I am having a VBAC. Mm -hmm. I had no doubt in my body's ability to do that because I have successfully delivered four other vaginal babies. So I had no doubt that I could do a VBAC. But they, the doctor doubted. He told me I could try. He told me that I'd have to do it, like, by 39 weeks in spontaneous labor, no induction. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, all these stipulations were being put on me. And so I realized, well, maybe this is not going to be the right fit. And I didn't really mind so much because in the, during that pregnancy, halfway through, I knew we were moving to San Diego. So I didn't change doctors from that one in St. George, but I knew we were leaving. So at 25 weeks pregnant, we moved to San Diego, and I met with wow. another doctor here. And I said, told him the whole history again and told him I wanted to be back. And then the same stipulations of, we can try, maybe we'll give it a shot and all the stipulations that they had on their timeline, like what they wanted for me to have a VBAC. Right. And all of my babies were never, I had two were born at 38 weeks, and the other first two were born on their due dates at 40 weeks exactly. So then I just—I I was feeling discouraged, like I wasn't going to get this VBAC that I wanted. And I had a friend say, what about a home birth? And I was like, are you out of your mind? <sighs> um, and so... I met with her midwife that she had recommended, and I loved her immediately. Here in San Diego, Carly is the best, if anybody wants to know who she is, Carly Nuttle. Um, and so know. she was the best midwife, and she was so understanding. She's like, absolutely, you can do a VBAC. There is no doubt in my mind. And just, we were like best friends <laughs> instantly. And so my, my pregnancy proceeded beautifully. At 39 weeks and four days-ish, five days, I dropped off my kids at school, squat down to give them a hug, and my water broke. And I was like, yay, it's done. <laughs> um, and left my kids at school, came home and said, okay, we'll just wait for labor to start. Called my midwife. I told her what was going on. She's like, okay, I just got called into another birth. Here's my backup number in case you need anything. And I was like, okay, don't worry. It's going to take a while. I went to bed, still no baby that night. The next morning, I said, We're, we got to have a baby today. This, My water, it's been almost 24 hours now that my water's broke. So I called my midwife again. And she's like, I'm in a conference today, two hours away. So call me immediately if something happens. And I'm sending her pictures of, like, the fluid that's running down my leg. She's like, it's a small leak. You'll be okay. And then contraction started, and I was contracting for a few hours, and then everything stopped. No more contractions. Hmm. And I called my midwife, and I was like, what's going on? She's like, are you still leaking? I said, no, there's no more leaking, no more contractions. She's, and then she told me, she's like, well, your baby's head could block the water from coming out, or your bags could reseal. Or I was like, what? I didn't even know this was an option. And I'm sitting on this phone crying. I was like, no, this baby's supposed to come. And so there was no baby that day. And so my water broke on a Thursday. I still was pregnant on Friday, still pregnant on Saturday morning. She was having, I was checking my temperature every couple hours and my blood pressure every couple hours. And there was no sign of infection. So she was comfortable with me just continuing at home to wait for things to happen. And I was starting to get discouraged. Saturday morning, my kids are so anxious. 
They've been waiting since Thursday when my water broke, dropping them off at school. They were sure we were having a baby before they got home from school. Um, but now it's Saturday, and I, I just couldn't do it anymore. I asked a friend to come over to take my kids for the day, and she said, well, let's, how about we just go for a walk? And I said, okay. Um, so we went for a walk. We came home, and I'm having contra- contractions, and they're, they're, I refused to time them because I said the last time I timed them, they stopped. My midwife just told me I'm not in labor. I'm not. And they're like, you need to call her. Nope, I'm not calling her. I was in denial that I was in labor. And so finally, they convinced me to call her at about 9 o'clock at night on Saturday night. She's like, I'm going to come over. And then I told her, no, don't come over. It's a waste of time. And she came over. She was two hours away, so she got here at like 11 up the birth pool I got in as I got in all the contractions stopped again and I was so frustrated and she said well how about you just go lay down in bed for a while maybe you're tired maybe you just need a rest so I went to go lay down and I slept for what seemed like two hours and then I was woken up by a really hard contraction and I was like oh my goodness and she ran into my room and she's like what's wrong I was like it hurts so bad and so I come out and I said, I need to get back in the pool. My husband is trying to re- reheat the water now, like pot by pot on the stove to reheat the water. <laughs> and so I get back in the pool and I'm laboring and I'm laboring. And I finally just say, I, I can't do this anymore. That was at about five o'clock in the morning. I said, I can't do this anymore. It's been like three days. I'm exhausted. I, I need to go to the hospital right now. And so... My husband and Carly had both asked me, are you sure? Are you sure this is what you wanted? I said, yes, I can't do this. I'm in tears. I'm in pain. And finally, I get out of the pool, and I'm try- I'm walked- I waddle to my bedroom to grab a robe, and I hear Carly on the phone calling the three local hospitals that are, like, I'm in a triangle <laughs> between three different hospitals. And all of them, one of them was understaffed, and one of them was, booked and they said they were completely full the other one they said they had no open rooms and I'm like oh my my gosh I hear these conversations and I'm like oh my gosh this is not okay this is not okay and I'm on my hands and knees in my living room praying like oh my goodness please make this stop I'm I can't do this anymore and my husband's running around like I need to pack a bag we didn't we weren't planning to go to the hospital we had no bag (laughs) packed nothing and they're looking at each other like my husband and Carly are like, should we really do this? Should we not do this? Should we, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, if one of you doesn't drive me to the hospital right now, I'm going to drive myself. Mm-hmm. And so I put my robe on, and I don't know how, but I got up off of all fours off the floor in my bedroom and started walking towards the door. I said, I am driving myself to the hospital. I don't care what you people say. I grab my car keys, and I start walking out my front door, and I get five steps out my front door. And I scream like a cheetah scream in my front yard. <laughs> I, my robe flies open. It's 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm butt naked under my robe. <laughs> and I said, something's coming out. Something's coming out. And, and I waddled back in real quick. And my Carly puts on a glove. And she feels, she's like, that's the baby's head coming out. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, are you serious? <laughs> I can't do this. And she's like, you're doing it. <laughs> and I I look over and I realize I'm in the entryway. The carpet's right there. I didn't want to get anything dirty. So I like jump in, back into the birth pool as quickly as I can. 
to get away from this burning ring of fire that's between my legs. And I'm trying to crawl across the pool, and I get stopped by the other end of the pool, and I realize the only way to get through this pain is to go push through it, to yeah. get away from it. I had to push through it. So I, I pushed through this pain. It was really quick. And I pull the baby up out of the water, and I put her up against me, and I just cry. I did it. I did it. I did it. I can't believe I did it. And I'm just in tears, and all of my kids, we had woken up all my kids because they were going to go with our friend because I was going to go to the hospital. And so all my kids are, like, half sleepy-eyed around this birth pool, and they all got to watch their baby sister be born. And my youngest two daughters are nine, nine and five, eight and five when the baby was born. And they're like stroking my head and saying, mom, you did it. You did it, mom. And they were Aww. so proud of me and so happy. Even my two boys, teen boys were there and they Aww. were like, the pictures of them look a little grossed out in the picture, but then some pictures after they're smiling. But I'm like, oh, you guys will know just what to do when you guys get married. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so we had this home birth and it was amazing. And I, I got a redemption. I felt cheated out of my last birth. My fifth baby, I wanted to go all natural. And then I had this emergency C-section and I felt hmm. cheated. Um, I, I felt defeated. And so with this home birth, I felt like whole again. I felt like that, that PTSD was closed and I knew that I was, that my birth experience was like redeemed. Like I knew I could do it. And I didn't care what anybody else said, <laughs> but I almost gave up, but that's called transition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You usually at that point when yeah. we're hearing mom saying like, I don't want to do this or I want the epidural or take me to the hospital, put me in the car. I don't care what I said before. <laughs> Listen to me now. That's usually the end. Yeah. I had a client once. It was my, one, my favorite birth, one of my top three still today. Still to this day, when I taught three births, and she was just screaming and complaining and just swearing between contractions. She's like, I can't do this. I want to go to the hospital right now if you guys don't take me right now. She's like hating. She like hated everybody because she's like, I just want someone to take me to the hospital and you guys don't take me to the hospital. I'm so angry at you. And like her midwife tried talking her down and her husband tried talking her down. And like I went to the kitchen to get a drink because, you know, sometimes you just need to let the husband like connect to the wife and just be like, he's the one. And I walked back in there and then he, I'm like, he's walking out and I'm like, I'm like, how's she doing? He's like, I have no idea. It's your turn to try. So I go in there, like grab her by the arms, but like in a nice loving doula way. And I look her in the face and I said, listen to me. Your yelling and anger is slowing your progress down right now. And this is what I need you to do. You can yell and scream and hate me and swear and yell at everybody as much as you want during the contractions. But between contractions, I need you to shut up and take deep oh, breaths. I did. I told her this. I told her that because she's a friend. We had, I don't talk to every single client that way, but like we had a developed a friendship and I knew like, I knew this is what she needed. She was also a doula. So it was, so she understood like the physio physiologic process, right? So I told him, I can't need you to shut up between the contractions and focus on breathing in deeply and breathing out deeply. If Do that between the contractions. And then during the contractions, you can tell me how much you hate me as much as you want. And then one hour from right now, if you still want to go to the hospital, I will drive you down the freeway myself and I will drive 90 miles an hour until we get there. And she was like, okay. And she did it. And guess what? Baby was born one hour and one minute later. Oh, my God. Oh, man. <laughs> right? But I don't, I don't, maybe I shouldn't 
just said the whole shut up part, but like I, I she needed to hear it. I had, I have this, you know, by the, as doulas, by the time um, our clients go into labor, we have a really neat connection with them, you know, and we know exactly what they need. We know how they need to be talked to. We know how they respond best. We've t- t- taken time to learn that in their, our prenatal visits with them. And we know how they interact with their spouses and their partners and their other kids. And mm-hmm. so that's just the, and, and I don't, I think that's the only time I've ever told that specific person to shut up. And I still like her. We're still friends. <laughs> in fact, I'm her doula again for this. She hasn't, she's having another baby this summer. And so, I mean, it didn't hurt her enough to like, I mean, it didn't affect her enough but to not hire me again. But it's what she needed. It's just what she needed. You know, and when you have that personal connection, you know. Yeah, you know where the boundaries yeah. are. I, I, I knew where the boundaries are. I know where they are. So don't don't let anybody yeah. keep that from hiring me because I was going to tell you to shut it. up. I was, I was super angry the hour before I decided to drive myself in the hospital. I was telling my midwife, you are so stupid. Why did you talk me into this? I hate every minute of this. Why would anybody do this to themselves? Yes. Like, this is the dumbest choice I've ever made in my entire life. And she's like, it'll be okay. And she's like, luckily, I don't hold anything against a laboring woman that she says is the metal. Like, that doesn't count. Anything you say in that time does not count. And I said, well, that's good. (laughs) Because I hated your guts. No, I was like that. I remember with my fourth baby, I was in the tub laboring and it was my fourth, you know, it was my third V-back at home. It's like my third rodeo, right? Like you think I would kind of understand now, but like I had prodromal labor for 30 days and like I just remember between contractions. I would just hold on to the edge of the tub and like on my knees and just look at my husband or my midwife. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. This next contraction, she has to be born. I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. She has to come right now. Every <laughs> Between every contraction, my midwife makes fun of me still. I mean, we have, she's been my midwife through three pregnancies. Like we're, we're friends by now and she makes fun of me. She's like, every time, every, between every single contraction, you said that, okay, I'm done. This is the last one. She needs to be born like two minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, man. So I kind of want to touch a little bit before we um, end this episode on healing from birth trauma. You you know, you mentioned yourself like you didn't realize that you were suffering from birth trauma mm-hmm. and your past experience. And um, uh, it makes me so sad because there's so many times where women don't feel like they can talk about it or like kind of like you were talking about like they don't recognize that it's postpartum I was one of them and we chalk it up to well I'm a mom or I'm a mom of five kids or all my kids are little and so this is kind of how life is it's stressful and and it makes me this way you know Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and there's so much to be said and and done about this and so We have a blog today. We're really excited to share with you guys about it because it lists some really good points and some really good resources. And I also want to note that, you know, not every cesarean is traumatic and some cesareans are actually healing. And so just because someone's had a cesarean doesn't also mean they had trauma. You know what I mean? It it could be one of the reasons why they choose a C-section if they choose a C-section could be because of past trauma. So it's important to to recognize this. Um, and there's a lot of women struggling with trauma and PTSD. So in this blog, we're going to talk a lot about healing and coping and what it looks like 
what makes a birth traumatic? I mean, there are many things that can come into play. Sometimes it's fear, just in general. You know, I think you may have had a lot of things. Like there was a lot happening where you weren't really being spoken to with like good knowledge. It was just like, we're doing this. And like, as people are, as you're talking on the phone, people are doing other things in five other different directions. And then you're there and then you're alone and then you can't hold your baby. And, you know, there's so many things that add up. So the outcome of the birth, the duration of labor, interventions, sometimes interventions in a whole can really be traumatic for mm-hmm. women because it their body's going through a lot of things or the interventions maybe lead to the outcome of the birth, feeling out of control. And really just having little or no communication between the staff, mother, and partner, that is such a big thing. And then there sadly is violence. There's violence, obstetric violence out there where women are touched and checked and yep. and done things too that they didn't consent to or they didn't have you know permission to. And so that can be very traumatizing, especially if someone maybe suffered from past sexual abuse or anything like that, that can be very triggering. So we've got this awesome, awesome blog. And if you are needing help or finding yourself suffering from PTSD, from birth trauma, or even, you know, prenatal care, even, it's important to be able to know that you can reach out. So we've got this this line. It, you can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741, and that is a 24-hour crisis support in the United States. You can reach out to them. They can talk to you. You can get the right resources that you need. And then we also want to touch on How to Heal a Bad Birth. That's an amazing, amazing book that a woman named Melissa wrote. And I believe there's a co-author. Is there a co-author? Yes. Debbie. Yeah. Debbie. Yeah, they're two midwives in Canada. Debbie. Yeah. Yeah, They wrote this amazing book on how to heal a bad birth and recover from all different types of drama. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so we've got this blog up for you. We've got more detail. We've got the links. We've got the podcast will be listed, of course. And reach out if you ever need anything. Do not hesitate. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.